Well, good morning, New Life Church and friends. Thank you for joining us uh, this Lord's Day here in the UAE on our Friday. And we have been going through the book of Luke, the mission of Jesus, over the last few months. And we are coming to the, the close of the, the center of this portion of this book. Last week we looked at the, the doubts that John the Baptist had regarding Jesus as the Messiah. And we saw that Jesus responded to the messengers that, that John had sent by instructing them to observe and to tell John everything that they had seen and that they had heard. Remember, John the prophet was really the last of the Old Testament prophets and he was stuck in jail at this time and he had his own human doubts. But remember the message that he preached before he was put in prison was a message of judgment. It was a message of repentance. And Jesus here, the Messiah that he was pointing everybody towards, is preaching a message of the gospel of good news. But the very miracles that John's disciples observed and saw, and even the, the welcomes that um, he gave, made John unsure about Jesus. But these were the very things, in fact, that pointed his disciples to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, that he was indeed the Messiah. John was not wrong on the facts. We know that there will be a time for judgment. But John was wrong about the timing. Now is the time for healing. Now is the time for patience and the time for the forgiveness of sins and good news that Jesus was preaching. And in our passage this morning, we read more about the preaching ministry of Jesus and about the wonderful response of a, of a lost sinner who finds true forgiveness in Jesus Christ. So this morning, the title of my message is Love So Amazing and So Divine. And we will be studying verse 36 to verse 50 together. If you would turn with me in your Bibles, or you can read on the screen. Verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and took his place at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering said to Simon, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, Say it, teacher. Verse 41, a certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one I suppose for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. 
Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered her house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, Your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This week I found a wonderful story that I wanted to start with that we can all relate to, especially as we are in this pandemic and as we face um, different times and different um, circumstances um, and conditions. But a story that we all would relate to about the love of Christ displayed in the love of Christians. So this story takes place during the 3rd century AD when a, a dreadful plague had swept through the city of Alexandria in Egypt. And according to uh, Dionysus the Great, it was the Christians who loved and cared for the sick, even at the cost of their own lives. And this is what he says. Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their, very, to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. It was the Christians who showed astonishing love during those horrifying days. Dionysus went on to say, the heathen behaved in very opposite way. At the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead and treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avoid the spread and contagion of the fatal disease. Even the famous physician at that time, Dr. Galleon, he had fled the, the city in fear. And the question I asked myself this week while reading the story and while reading this passage is, what makes the difference? Really, what makes Christians love to the point of death, even willing to give their lives for others? Why do Christians love and, and care for the sick and dying? This isn't the only story that has been recorded of this. All over the world, people willing, Christians willing to sacrifice for the sake of others, this unconditional love. And the reason is, is that Christians, the reason that Christians love others is because they have been forgiven. And a life of astonishing love is the wonderful response of lost sinners who have found true forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And we will see that beautifully expressed in the, infident, uh, in the, in the incident of this woman who is anointing Jesus' feet in our passage this morning. And there are three main, three main characters in the story this morning. There's the prostitute, 
there is a Pharisee and there is a prophet. And my message this morning is outlined according to those three characters. And the first point this morning, and the first character we see this morning is the Pharisee. And he is introduced to us in verse 36 to verse 38. Look at verse 36. It tells us, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So we know from the passage that this Pharisee's name was Simon. Simon was a common name at that time. But this Simon, we know he was a a Pharisee, which means outwardly he was an upright man. He was a religious man. Um, He attempted to keep all the the laws of Moses and he taught other people that that's what they needed to do as well. Um, He tithed his income. He fasted regularly. He prayed at least three times every day. And he never missed his attendance at the synagogues. He was a decent man who was respected as a religious leader in the community. But we also know from the passage that his relationship to Jesus could be described as formal, uh, distant, and maybe even cool. He invited Jesus not because he was a friend of Jesus or because he knew Jesus very well, but I think because he was curious. He invited Jesus to his home for dinner, we see in this passage. But Simon had no sense of personal need. He wasn't really interested in the message at Jesus was preaching. Remember, Jesus was a well-known teacher at this time. Many people respected him and regarded him as a rabbi. But Simon projected an air of having it all together. Um, After all, he was a Pharisee. What more did he need? What did he lack? For him, Jesus didn't offer anything important or anything eternal that he needed. And so he thought. And you will notice in this passage that the the customary feet washing of water and the greeting, the kiss and the oil to anoint Jesus' head was not there. We see that in the passage. Jesus himself shows us that this was missing. And scholars debate whether Simon was trying to be rude or not. We don't really know. It's difficult to say. But Simon certainly was cool and distant and his reception of Jesus was much more reserved than he would have shown maybe to the chief priest if he had come to dinner. So Simon wanted to reflect a certain coolness and a certain distance, especially with the people that were watching this particular dinner. He didn't want his friends to think that he had gone overboard for for Jesus or anything like that. And we will learn more about Simon the Pharisee as as the story progresses. But the second character that we are introduced and the second point this morning is the prostitute. We see in verse 37 and verse 38. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Verse 38. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. So this Pharisee, sorry, this prostitute was not a guest at this dinner. 
Um, even though she was there, she was uninvited. But that was, that was normal. There in the, the, the Middle East, even here in Israel at this time, people were allowed to openly go in, into other people's homes, especially while there was a function going on, and they were allowed to observe from a distance. And this is what this woman was doing. There were probably other people watching, especially because there was a, a famous guest that had come to the house of Simon. But notice the two words that Luke uses in the beginning of verse 37. It says, and behold, and behold. Uh, these words are what scholars call a prompter of attention, a prompter of attention. They want to get our attention here. One Greek dictionary defines this as words which serve to emphasize the, the statement that's following. In other words, look, listen, and pay attention. Something important is about to happen. So let's notice, let's pay attention to a few things about this woman, this sinful woman the Bible is describing. Well, number one, we don't know what her name was. Uh, we don't know who she was. Uh, she does not even speak a, a single word during this entire incident. And the only thing we know about her is that she was a, a woman of the city who was a sinner. And why was this sinful woman at Simon's house? Well, I think she had learned that Jesus was there. And Jesus was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house. She obviously immediately um, came to, the, to this dinner with her flask. She had an alabaster flask of ointment that she wanted to give to Jesus. And clearly, Luke wants us to understand that she came to the Pharisee's house because of Jesus, for no other reason, just for Jesus. Well, why? Well, let's have a look. Let's have a look. One commentator tells us that she was there because of gratitude. Somewhere, somehow, possibly through a, a public sermon or maybe through a private unrecorded conversation, Jesus' words had gone to her heart and she had turned to him and she had already found forgiveness. And I think there's proof of that in our passage. In verse 48 and verse 50, Jesus says to her, your sins are forgiven and then your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So Jesus is talking about past tense here. Something wonderful had already happened in the life of this lady. And Jesus was recognizing that. And these are words of assurance that Jesus is giving. These are not first-time declarations. These are words of assurance. So this sinful woman knew herself to be a sinner. And that's important for our discourse this morning, for our study this morning. She understood and she agreed that she was indeed a sinner who needed a Savior. And she had received the forgiveness of her sins when she learned that Jesus was in the Pharisee's house, she went to him because she knew that he was a friend of sinners. And while she was standing in the courtyard behind Jesus at his feet, she must have noticed that his feet were, were still dirty. And perhaps she had noticed that Simon did not offer the customary foot washing and um, maybe even slighted Jesus. Or perhaps she was just simply thrilled to see Jesus there. And whatever her thinking, we see in the passage, 
that she, she bursts into tears. And these aren't little, little sniffles. Um, her tear dam burst and she could not stop weeping. And soon she began, she began to wet Jesus' feet with her tears, as the passage describes. And she didn't have a towel. She hadn't brought a towel to, to wipe the tears off of Jesus' feet. And so she did the next best thing. And the passage tells us that she undid her long hair and wiped her tears with the hair of her head. Now that was one of the most unacceptable things to do in the culture of that day. You see, on the day that a, a woman got married, she would have to tie her hair up and she was never seen in public again with her hair down. Only her husband was allowed to see her hair let down. In fact, the, the Talmud, which is a collection of opinions of Jewish law, says that a, a woman could be divorced for, for letting her hair down in the presence of, of another man. And this offense was, was so terrible that the rabbis put a woman's loosening of her hair and uncovering her breasts in the same category. So this was unimaginable what this woman was doing. At this point, I think the woman no longer cared what other people were thinking of her. You remember, they must have thought terrible things about her. But at this point, this woman's sins had been forgiven. And her one objection, her one goal, was to show gratitude and thankfulness to her Savior. And she didn't care what other people were thinking. And so she kisses Jesus' feet and she anoints Jesus' feet with this ointment. And we see here an astonishing expression of love. But notice it was out of response, out of response to the grace that she had received. She had found true forgiveness in Jesus Christ. And she was here showing her expression of gratitude and gratefulness and love towards her Savior. And for years she had been living in shame and she had been living in guilt. And she desperately wanted a new life. But we know what the religious leaders were teaching at that time. And they told her that she needed to be righteous if she wanted to be forgiven. She needed to make sure she said the correct amount of prayers every single day. And she knew that she was not righteous. She knew that she was a sinner. And she couldn't keep all of these laws that were burdened upon her to keep by the, the Pharisees. And she had heard the Pharisees teach that the way to God was to keep the law, to observe all the, the countless Sabbath regulations and to be diligent to avoid ceremonial defilement. But their teaching offered her no hope. It only added to her condemnation. And she didn't even know where to begin. But then she heard the teaching of Jesus. And we know what Jesus was teaching. We've already been studying that. We saw in Luke chapter 5, Jesus taught, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. She heard of greedy tax collectors who had been transformed by coming to Jesus. Perhaps she had heard of another sinful woman to whom Jesus had said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way from now on. Sin no more. 
She thought, this man offers true hope even to a sinner like me. And so she repented of her sins and put her trust in this one who came to seek and to save the lost. And all of this happened before that day, before Simon's banquet, before Simon's dinner. And when she learned that Jesus was nearby, she went straight away to express her deep gratitude for all that Jesus had done for her. And I hope you remember that day. I hope you remember that day when Jesus forgave your sins. If you can't remember that day, then perhaps you've never repented of your sins. You know, we've just sang a wonderful song called My Story. Let me read those words to you again and I want you to examine your heart this morning to see whether those words were, were really sung from your heart or whether they're just words on, on a screen. But let me read those words to you this morning. My story. If I told you my story, you would hear hope that wouldn't let go. And if I told you my story, you would hear love that never gave up. And if I told you my story, you would hear life, but it wasn't mine. If I should speak, then let it be of the grace that is greater than all my sin. Of when justice was served and where mercy wins. Of the kindness of Jesus that draws me in. Oh, to tell you my story is to tell of him. I can imagine this woman at this dinner party almost singing these words or singing them at some point after she had come to faith in Jesus. But is this song for you? Are these words fiction, fact, or fantasy for you? Have you received this grace? Have you received this mercy and this forgiveness in Christ that this, that this song celebrates? It is available to you today. Simply ask Jesus to forgive you for your sins. You need to do what this, what this lady did and admit that you are indeed a sinner that needs a saviour. As long as you are not willing to accept that you are a sinner, then you are just like the Pharisee who has no need for Christ. But if you humble yourself and do what this lady did, he will forgive your sins. Before we look at the third character, let me, let me ask you another question this morning. Which of these two characters can you identify with? Do you identify with the Pharisee or do you identify with this prostitute? Which of these two characters best describe your relationship with Jesus? Are you more like the, the cool, calm and collected Pharisee? You've got it all together. Your life is fine. You've sorted it out. You've done everything that you need to do and you think that you really don't have a need for Jesus? You don't need forgiveness of your sins? Or are you like this woman? Do you see that without Jesus, you would be hopelessly and helplessly lost in your sins? Like her, are you at liberty to express your deep feelings of love and gratitude for the Savior? in spite of what 
other people think? Are you ashamed of Jesus? Think about that for a moment. And Luke wants us to take an honest look at ourselves and identify with either the Pharisee or the prostitute. Obviously, clearly, the prostitute is the preferable character here in our story. Well, the third character that is in our story is the prophet. Is the prophet. And Jesus is this prophet in the story. Uh, one of Luke's main reasons for relating the story is to get us to reflect on the question that has already been asked. Who is this man Jesus? Who is this man Jesus? And this question came to Simon's mind as he, as he squirmed while watching this notorious woman kissing the feet of Jesus. Notice verse 39. Look at verse 39. Simon says to himself, he's not speaking this aloud, he says to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Luke uses irony here by showing that Jesus was a prophet. He could read Simon's mind. He could read his secret thoughts, even though Simon doubted that he was a, a prophet. And the, the dinner guests also raise the question of Jesus' identity in, in verse 49. They say, who is this man who, who forgives sins? So there are a number of people asking this question. Who is this man? And it's not the first time in Luke that this question has been asked. And I think Luke very cleverly is making us answer this question for ourselves here in this passage. Jesus demonstrated his authority to forgive sins by, by raising the, the paralytic um, from his stretcher. We've already st studied that in chapter 5. Jesus demonstrated his authority by raising people from the dead and, and we've seen that already in our passage. And here he ignores the, the murmuring of the crowds and he doesn't give an answer to them. But he proves who he is by his actions here. And he assures this woman that her sins have been forgiven. And he sends her away in peace. He just gives her a words of assurance. Very loving, very comforting words. And Luke wants us to consider that this man is not just a prophet. He is the one whose law this sinful woman had broken. Only if you've been sinned against can you forgive others, isn't it? And that's what has happened here. Jesus is not just a prophet as this Simon the Pharisee thought. Jesus is indeed God. God in human flesh. The only one who can rightly forgive sins. So having met these main characters, let's come back to the emphasis here in our passage as we, as we bring this together this morning. We see in Luke 44 the shift that is taking place here. And, and Luke is, is forcing us to focus from the sinful woman to, to Simon. Jesus asks Simon the Pharisee a question in verse 44. Look at verse 44. Do you see this woman? I entered her house. You gave me no water for my feet. 
but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with my with her hair so we know when the sinful woman entered the room obviously eyebrows must have been raised and and voices must have been lowered to a to a whisper but Jesus question here in verse 44 to Simon I think is is a bit amusing do you see this woman I think yes of course everybody must have seen this woman you can rest assured that Simon was very well aware of this woman who had entered his house um, he must have been maybe a little bit worried and remember it wasn't unusual for guests to be able to drop in at such a gathering and, and to listen to the discussion that was taking place amongst uh, a religious leader but I don't think Simon expected a prostitute to have entered into his house and we see by his question Jesus was about to showcase a prostitute as an example for a Pharisee to follow. The fact was, Simon had not really seen her. He had seen her from the outside, but he didn't consider anything that was going on in her spiritual life. He had not seen that she had something that Jesus needed. She, he had not seen that she needed a loving thankful heart or that she had a loving thankful heart toward Jesus it took a lot of courage for this woman to to seek out Jesus in this gathering um, and probably Simon wasn't the only Pharisee I'm sure there were many other Pharisees there so this woman had a lot of courage to enter into this audience and she knew that she would have to endure stares I'm sure that she was well aware that people would be mocking her or, or whispering and, and laughing at her and pointing, men nudging to each other. But she wanted openly and publicly to express her love for Jesus. And she was willing to endure this public humiliation. And from what we have learned about Simon, we see that his thoughts were very judgmental. He knew that this woman was a sinner. However, he believed himself to be righteous. He didn't think that he was a sinner. He didn't hear the, the message that John the Baptist preached about repentance. He might have been one of those Pharisees that day that John pointed to as a, as a viper, as a snake. But here he was. He thought that he was holy, that he was a, a separated one. In fact, they called Pharisees separated ones because they separated themselves from other people. They perceived themselves to be better than others. They would never admit to being sinners. So Simon wanted Jesus to be like him. I think that's what his objective was to inviting Jesus to this dinner. He wanted Jesus to have nothing to do with this sinful woman. He wanted Jesus to push the, the woman back into the street, back into her sin and back into her misery. But we know that Jesus would have nothing of the sort to do with that. He knew precisely what was going on in the woman's heart. He knew precisely that this woman's heart was full of gratitude. 
and he knew what was going on even in Simon's hardened heart at that point. And Jesus answers him with a parable in verse 40. I have something to say to you. And he answers, well, speak, teacher, say it. And this is Jesus' answer in this parable. He says in verse 41, A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he cancelled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Well, we know from this parable that both of these debtors were sinners. Uh, a denarii in this story here is a, a Roman silver coin which is equivalent to a, a day's wage for a common laborer. So it would take 50 days for this one debtor to pay off his debt and it would take 500 days for the other debtor to pay off his debt. So what was Jesus saying here is that this woman was a, a 500 sinner and Simon was a 50 sinner. So outwardly, this woman was 10 times as more sinful as Simon was. But the real problem was that even though Simon perceived the, the 500 sinner to be uh, real and serious and a terrible sinner, in fact the, the 50 sinner here was, was still a sinner too, was still condemned. Both debtors were in trouble. Both debtors were sinners. Yes, one did have ten times more sin, but they were both equally guilty before God. They were both equally condemned in their sins. Let me give you an example to help you explain this. There are two people drowning. One person is drowning in 50 feet of water. Another person is drowning in 500 feet of water. Which person is in bigger trouble? The first person or the, the second person? Well, obviously they're both in trouble, isn't it? They are both going to die. It doesn't matter how much water is on top of them. They are both drowning. They are both going to die. Just think about this for a moment. It, it would be ridiculous for the person in the, the 50 feet of water to look at the guy in the, the 500 feet and think, well, at least I'm better off than you. Um, I'm thankful that I'm not in, in that amount of water. He's drowning, isn't it? He wouldn't say that. It wouldn't do any good for even the guy in the 500 feet of water to think, if I can just swim over there to the, to the 50 feet of water, I'll be better, I'll be okay. No. They were both drowning. And I think sometimes sinners often think like this. The self-righteous sinner, he, he thinks, well, I'm better off than, than that person. And they compare themselves. I'm better off than that wicked person. I'm, I don't do that. I don't say that. I don't act like that. And we look at them because they're drowning in 500 feet of water. But we're not willing to acknowledge the 50 feet of water above us. All the while, we're going to drown. All the while, we are condemned. If only I can just clean up my own life 
and just get above the, the 50 feet of water, I'll be fine. 50 feet of water, it's not so bad. It doesn't really matter. I will sort this out on my own. I'll be just fine. Maybe that's how we look at it. But in God's sight, both are guilty as lawbreakers. Both are debtors. And neither has the ability to repay. Both are condemned in their sins. And when they die, we'll be judged the same way. And we'll face the same consequences. To love Jesus much, like this woman did, we have to come to the realization that we are in debt to God, no matter how much water is above us. We need to come to the realization that we are in debt to God because, because we are sinners in our nature. Not because we've done small amounts of sin, but because we are born sinful people. Because of the many sins that follow because of our nature. You must also realize that there is nothing that we can do to pay off this debt. Nothing. No good works. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, not by our works. And all the good deeds in the world, all the good deeds in the world added up to what you would think would be pleasing to God could never be acceptable in His sight. You know, our sin is like putting frosting over a moldy cake. It just doesn't help. The cake is still moldy. It's still inedible. I mean, who wants to eat a moldy cake? I mean, you can do all your good works and try and, and look good on the outside, but on the inside, your nature hasn't been changed. Your sins have not been forgiven. You have not been given the righteousness of Christ. You are still condemned. You have to come to the place where you recognize that your entire cake is, is moldy and there's nothing that you can do about it except turn to Christ. And I know that you know, people don't enjoy hearing messages about sin. I've had people come to me and say, well, Pastor, why don't you preach more about the love of God? And, and don't talk about sin. I don't like preaching about sin. But you see the problem here, folks. If we don't recognize that we are sinners, if we don't agree with God what the Bible says about sin, that we are indeed sin, sinners and keep making excuses for our sins and keep on sweeping our sins under the carpet, we will never be thankful for grace. We will never have this gratitude that this prostitute did because we think our sins are small and we have no need for a Savior. We can overcome our own sin. We don't need a Savior. And continuing with this parable, Jesus says in verse 42, when they could not pay, He cancelled the debt. He cancelled the debt of both. Jesus' point is that both the, the sinful woman and the self-righteous man were spiritual debtors. They were both sinners and that both were equally insolvent. They couldn't do anything about it. 
It doesn't matter if you have been a, a bank robber or if you've never robbed a bank. And sometimes we, we think like that, don't we? Well, I've never murdered anybody. Well, I've never committed adultery. Well, I've just looked at a little bit of pornography. And we tend to make excuses for our sins. That's not so bad. The Lord says, here in this passage, that He's the one who cancels the debt, not us. And we can give money to the church, and we can do good works, and do as much as we can, but it is of no use, because it is God, Christ alone, who cancels the debt of the sinner. And I think Simon the Pharisee here represents so many people. And most of these people are like religious Simon, who believes that God accepts them because of their good works, because of their self-righteousness. And they believe that God will accept them because they are, they are basically okay. They're not rotten murderers or, or wicked uh, bank robbers or, or, or rapists. Well, they believe that God will accept them because they're not as bad as others. And they are utterly judgmental of others. And they base their eternal destiny on their own self-righteousness. Now listen to Jesus' question to Simon in verse 42. Now which of them will love him more? Now which of them will love him more? And I think the answer is self-evident, isn't it? And that is why Simon answers, well, the one I suppose for whom he cancelled the larger debt. And Jesus said to him, yes, you have judged rightly. And those who have been forgiven the most love the most because they recognize the, the wickedness of their own sins. They recognize that they are indeed corrupt sinners. They are depraved sinners. Consider the story of John Newton. You may have heard of him. He is the, the author of the, the famous hymn, Amazing Grace. Well, Newton's mother died when he was not quite seven years of age. And when his father remarried, and after several brief years of, of formal education, John left school and he joined his father's ship at the age of 11 to begin a life as a seaman on these boats. His early years were one of continuous rounds of rebellion and debauchery. And after serving on several ships, as well as working for a period of time on, on the islands and on the mainland of the west coast of Africa and what he did was collect slaves. He would kidnap people and sell them in Europe as a trader. And Newton eventually became a captain of his own slave ship. Um, but needless to say, this selling of people and capturing of people and transporting of these, these black slaves to the plantations in, in America and in the West Indies was, was a cruel and a vicious way of life. And this is what John Newton used to do. But on March the 10th, in 1978, while returning to England from Africa during a particularly stormy voyage when it appeared that all would be lost and the ship would, would sink, Newton began praying and he began reading the Bible and even a, a book called the, the Imitation of Christ. And the message of the book and the frightening experience at sea were used by the Holy Spirit to, 
to bring John Newton to faith in Jesus Christ. But up until the age of his death, and he died at the age of, of 82, and after this experience, John Newton gave up his, his wicked ways, he, he left the, the trade that he knew, and he went into ministry and became a, a minister of the gospel. But right up to the end of his life, John Newton never ceased to marvel at God's forgiveness and God's mercy and how God's grace had so dramatically changed his life. This was the theme of his, his preaching and his writing and it comes out in that song, Amazing Grace. On one occasion before his death, Newton was quoted as proclaiming with a, a loud voice during a message that he preached. He said, My memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things, that I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. What a wonderful quote. I am a great sinner and that Christ is a great Savior. John Newton loved Jesus much because he knew how great the debt of his sin was cancelled. He understood how depraved he was. And shortly before his death, a, a spokesperson for the church suggested that he consider retirement because of his health. It was, it was failing and his eyesight was, was getting worse and his memory was getting worse. But, but Newton replied and he said, What shall the old Africa blasphemer stop while he can still speak? What he wanted to do with his life was tell others about God's amazing grace to the very end, to the very end of his life. Luke said Jesus turned toward the woman and said to Simon, look at these verses in verse 44. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she was wet, but she has wet my face with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. Now you may not have been at any point a person who was involved in slave trading, a person who kidnapped others and sold them as slaves. You may not have a, have a testimony like John Newton. But even though you are only under 50 feet of water, it's just the same as being under 500 feet of water. God sees your sin as condemning. Your sin stops you from having eternal life with Christ in heaven forever. And your wicked nature you were born with. It's not something that you developed. And you may be outwardly like Simon the Pharisee, upright and moral and haven't broken many laws, maybe even religious. But hear what Jesus is saying this morning, folks. Hear what the Scriptures are saying this morning. 
He who is forgiven little, loves little. Do you love the grace of God? Are you thankful that God's grace has forgiven your sins, that your sins have been cast as far as the east is from the west? Or are you making excuses for your sins? Your sins aren't that bad. It doesn't matter if I do just a little bit of this, a little bit of that. I'm okay. Those who are forgiven little, love little. I think it's important that we understand what has been said here in this passage because some even Roman Catholic commentators and scholars, they, they argue from this verse that it was this woman's love for Christ that merited her forgiveness. Because she loved much, she was forgiven much. And because of what she did, so she got this, that she earned her forgiveness. This is not what the scriptures are saying. Because look at verse 50, look at the passage. It, Jesus clearly states there that it was her faith that had saved her. Not her love, not her actions, her faith. And also at the end of verse 47, Jesus does not say, he who loves little is forgiven little. The opposite is said. And the point of Jesus' story in verse 41 to 43 is obviously that forgiveness precedes and is a result, it, uh, it precedes and it results in love. It results in love. It's not the other way around. Verse 47, Jesus is saying that this woman's love was evidence of her great forgiveness which preceded it. Let me give you an example. We have a few more minutes. I won't keep you long today. You know, we may say, well, it is raining for the window is wet. Maybe you saw the rain on your windscreen yesterday or the day before. But the wet window is not the cause of the rain. It's the evidence of the rain, isn't it? And the woman's fervent love was the evidence that she had been forgiven much, not the cause of it. And when a person sees his debt of sin before God and his inability to, to meet the debt, it drives him to trust completely in the Savior who graciously forgives sins. And that is the key to developing a fervent love for God. And I hope you do love God. Do you desire God? Do you want to know Him more? Do you want your relationship to be stronger with the Lord? Do you want it to be deeper with the Lord? And here's the answer, folks. The more you see your debt and your inability to repay it back, the more you will appreciate what the Savior has done for you in your place. The more you will appreciate the cross of Calvary, the more you will love the sacrifice that Jesus made for you on that cross. Love so amazing, so divine. Are you living a life of astonishing love? There's a wonderful response of a lost sinner who has found true forgiveness in Jesus Christ. Well, if you haven't, and today is a day of your salvation. Begin by confessing your sins to Him. Don't be self-righteous. Don't make excuses. Be sensitive to your sins. And confess it. Confess it. And then express your love to Jesus by telling Him about it. By telling others about it. By be willing to be baptized publicly, declaring what Christ has done for you. 
wherever you go, maybe even in song, and by sharing the good news of what God has done for you through Jesus Christ, by telling others, by worshipping Him. You can do so by telling others who also need to find true forgiveness in Jesus Christ. I pray that this is true of you today. And that's the reason why so many people are willing to give their lives in service of the Lord because they are so thankful for God's amazing grace. I hope this is true of you today. So pray with me. Father, we do thank you this morning for your amazing grace. I know, Lord, I once was blind, but now I see. I know, Lord, I was once lost, but now I am found. And it's only because of your grace. Today we are reminded again of what a wonderful Savior you are. I pray, Lord, that those who agree with me this morning, Lord, will sing even louder as we respond in gratefulness of how great you are, of how wonderful you are, and that you would increase our gratitude for you. Lord, we would live lives of, of joy, not complaining, and not of fear. Lord, and not even of, of doubt, that our faith would increase and we would be people that would celebrate what Christ has done for us on the cross of Calvary. We'd get together, we'd talk about you more and more and more. And we would not be drawn into the things of this world. Lord, our lives would shine for you, even in this dark time, even in this difficult time, Lord, that our lights would shine, that people would see the hope that is in us. And we would be ready to tell others of this wonderful hope. So Lord, today we thank you again for your amazing grace. But I do pray if there are people amongst us, people listening this morning, people maybe even going to church, people who may be even religious, gone to Sunday school their whole life, and they keep making excuses for their sin, and they have never repented of their sin, and keep justifying their actions, I pray, Lord, that you would help them see clearly this morning. Open their eyes. Break their hearts. That they would call upon the name of Jesus. Help them to see that they are drowning. And there is nothing they can do to save themselves unless they call upon the name of God for the forgiveness of their sins. So do your work of grace this morning, Lord, we pray, for the sake of your great name and for the joy of your people, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Please respond with me this morning in a song of praise to our magnificent Savior. And the song is, He is He worthy. And at the end we will all say, He is. Please join us.